Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we uh, pray now that... Uh, well, Lord, I, I just pray that your spirit right now would uh, move among us. Lord, uh, your presence is here. That's, that's promised. But now, Father, just like the spirit brooded over the earth in creation, I pray that the spirit of God would fill this place. And would uh, remind people of your great love and your great forgiveness. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite stories concerns a man who was bitten by a dog, which was later discovered to be rabid. The man was rushed to the hospital where tests revealed that he, in fact, uh, was infected with rabies. At the time, medical science had no solution for this problem, so the doctor had the very difficult task of uh, informing him that his condition was both incurable and terminal. The doctor said, sir, we will do everything we can to keep you comfortable, but I cannot give you false hope. There's nothing we can really do. My best advice is that you do everything you can to put your affairs in order. Well, the dying man kind of slumped back in his hospital bed, really depressed, wondering what he should do. But he rallied a few minutes later and he asked the doctor for pen and paper. And he began to work with great energy and uh, write down several things. An hour later, when the doctor returned, the man was sitting up still writing vigorously, and the doctor said, I'm so glad that you're working on your will. He said, Doc, this ain't no will. This is a list of the people I'm going to bite before I die. <laughs> before you laugh too hard, you all have those lists in your heads. You may not have them written down, but all of us uh, keep this kind of uh, checklist of people who, under the correct circumstances, could really use a good bite, Right? Forgiveness is hard. Now, forgiveness sounds easy, but it's not. C.S. Lewis put it so well when he said, Forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. Well, why is it so hard? Well, I think it's hard because it's not natural. Uh, we have this instinct uh, to pay back, to seek revenge, retribution. Uh, it's not fair. Uh, we want to forgive, but we can't possibly forgive without repayment. Now, all of us have this kind of payback instinct inside of us. There's a, a woman in our church, and she will go unnamed. Uh, she's a mature, godly woman, and she was driving from her home. This has actually happened a couple of weeks ago. She was driving from her home, and she happened to pass in her, local, in her neighborhood, uh, you know, where the speed limit is like 10 miles an hour. Uh, her husband was coming the other direction, so she paused for just a minute to say hi and uh, behind her pulled up another woman and paused no more than 10 or 15 seconds. But in that 10 or 15 seconds, the woman behind her was 
you know, doing one of these things, you know, like, you know, I've got so much to do. And that's kind of the Christian female version of flipping somebody off. You know, this this kind of thing, you know, what you do in your car. And so this godly woman thought, oh, I better move. You know, she's really in a hurry. So she pulls off and the woman just zooms around her. And that godly woman, I don't know what got into her, but she went like this. You know. So there, you know, you know, and 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 she confessed that later. Uh, she lives uh, in my house and she confessed that later that uh, that she felt she felt really kind of guilty about that. You know, that she didn't present the forgiving spirit, perhaps that you. Pro- so, again, don't ask me who it was, but it, you know, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. It's not fair. It's um, I want to forgive, but I can't do it with that repayment of the justice that is due, that the offender must receive punishment. There must be vindication today in our series on the prodigal or on the parable of the prodigal, uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Uh, we're looking at this amazing story that you already saw uh, in the video, the story of the unforgiving servant. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 18. Uh, if not, we've got it printed in your uh, sermon notes and also on the screen. But I just want to mention that uh, this parable comes at the end of the section where Jesus is instructing us on how what we're supposed to do if somebody offends us. So if somebody uh, does something to harm you or hurt you, uh, that gives instruction. Uh, Jesus gives instruction on what you're supposed to do. Yeah, you remember the story. You're supposed to go to that person and and talk about it and try and resolve it between the two of you. If that doesn't work, you take somebody else, a godly person, and go with you and try to establish that. So there's there's reasons, there's ways to uh, deal with somebody that's hurt you. Okay, so you're not supposed to just kind of ignore it, right? I mean, you know that, but you're not supposed to ignore when somebody hurts you. So that's the context of this parable. And here, here are the words of Jesus. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, uh, the, ma- the, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So the context is after Jesus teaches about 
what are you supposed to do when a brother or sister hurts you, when somebody does harm to you? Uh, And then Jesus explains that. And then after Jesus explained that, uh, Peter, (laughs) Peter's always got the questions, you know, Jesus is teaching real deeply and he's really into it. And all of a sudden, you know, it's Peter, you know, uh, uh, Jesus. And he always wants clarification and he always wants to know the easy way out. Right. So in other words, how much. Right. So Peter says to Jesus now, okay, how much should we how often should we forgive this guy that's hurt us? And, uh, and Peter, believing that he was gen- generous, really magnanimous, he, he said, well, how about, uh, Jesus, how about seven times? Now, the rabbis had this tradition, and uh, it, it doesn't come from Scripture, but uh, the rabbis had a tradition that you forgive somebody three times, but not the fourth time. In other words, somebody runs up and slaps you in the face, three times you forgive them, the fourth time, you know, just pound them back, you know. So, so that was kind of the tradition of the rabbis. So Peter, in his own mind, was being very magnanimous. How about seven times? Do we forgive them seven times? And uh, Jesus shocked him. He shocks all of us often. Jesus said, no, not three times, not four times, not seven times, but 70 times seven times, 490 times, the meaning of which was as you would expect. Uh, unlimited forgiveness. And now, at this point, Peter's going, are you kidding me? Do you know what Andrew did to me the other day? You know, you, do, you, do you know what, you know, the other guy did to me? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven, uh, unlimited forgiveness. And then Jesus spoke this parable. Now, before we examine Jesus' teaching, let me just remind you of three teams, three things. All these things come from Scripture, so we could have a sermon on each one of these ideas. The first is this. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Okay. God is very good at that. You know, you ask God to forgive you. The Bible says that he casts that sin into a sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. In other words, you say, God, remember that sin I committed last week? And God goes, what? Huh? What? Huh? What? What are you talking about? And he, he forgets it. But we're not God, right? And now we're supposed to forgive and we're supposed to give from, forgive from the heart. That's what the text says. But this idea of forgetting, don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, eventually, it will go away. Eventually, you will forget for most things. But, but forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. You need to do the act of forgiving, whether you forget or not. The second thing is this. Forgiveness is not justifying, excusing, or even understanding why that person hurts you. It's not saying it's okay. It's not saying it doesn't matter because it does matter. It is not okay. You've been following in the newspapers and on the news about um, uh, James Holmes, this young man who uh, killed 12 people. I think I don't know that there's many other that have died since then, but there's dozens in the hospital still that were injured severely in Aurora, Colorado. And uh, and it's really easy to say, well, those people should just forgive him. Well, well, wait, slow down, you know. Forgiveness is not justifying, excusing, or even understanding why the person hurt you. It's okay saying this person really hurt me deeply. And then another thing about forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is an emotional response to the offender. It's not pardoning the offender. So I, I heard in, uh, on Caleb this morning, on my way over to church, that um, one of the guys that's in the hospital that was shot three times, I forget his name, but... Um, uh, he was talking to his pastor and he told his pastor that he wanted to forgive James Holmes. Now, to me, 
that's a wonderful act of grace. And I think that's a good that's good for him. That'll be good for his healing. But that does in no way justify what James Holm did. So when you say I'm going to forgive someone, that's an emotional response that we're called upon by God to do. But that does not pardon. Pardon deals with consequences of the offense. Unless we have the authority or the power to pardon someone, which usually we don't, um, we can't pardon the offense. We always leave that to someone else, whether it's the, so, the, the governmental system or whatever. But we can always, always forgive. So with that as a backdrop, let's look at the parable. The story is set in the context of a king settling accounts with his servants. It's kind of a, a judgment day. Uh, when the king deals with each of his servants according to what those servants have done, how much they owe him. Um, think of it as uh, tax day times 100. You know, uh, when you do tax day, you're doing your taxes, you know, at 930 on April you know, 15th. And you just kind of all you just getting all, and you're just hoping that somehow when you finish it, the, somehow the government's going to owe you money, which never happens, you, at least uh, unless you're self-employed. And and, and, and and you always end up owing. Oh, man, what am I going to So think of, of this parable uh, that times 100. Um, now, these servants would be feeling this great anxiety as they came to the king because they owed him so much. And at, at the first person that comes before the king, the situation could not be any worse. Um, since we don't actually do business these days in um, talents, you know, how many talents do you make, you know, and all that. We don't talk like that. Uh, we don't have a perfect example of how much this is, but if you recognize that a talent is a measure of weight equal to 75 pounds and you multiply that times gold and all that, the, the amount that this man owed was somewhere around three and a half billion dollars. Okay, so the first thing you hear is that, say, well, okay, how, first of all, how could somebody be so stupid that they could get in that debt? Well, just look at our government. Uh, you, know, you know, it's pretty easy to do. Uh, 1.2 trillion a year, right? So, so, so but you, how, how's that possible? How can you be so dumb? How can you spend so flagrantly? How can you uh, have so much interest and not pay attention to it and, and all of that? And, and, of course, you could worry about that, but that's not the point of the ter- parable. The point is that the servant's debt is truly enormous. It is unpayable, and it's unredeemable. That's the point of this. Completely beyond his or anyone else's ability to pay back. Consequently, uh, he is about to lose everything he has. Now, there was a couple of options that uh, the king had in this case in the days of Jesus. One option was to throw the man in debtor's prison. But the other option was even worse. The other option was to take the man, his wife, his kids... Anybody, any manservants or maidservants or any other extended relatives that live with him and sell them into slavery and take that money and at least pay off some of the debt. So there was kind of two options here for the king. Both of them were by law. Both of them were justified. Okay, this guy, remember, this guy owed three and a half billion dollars. It's not like, oh, poor guy, he fell on some bad times. No, he was stupid. He was irresponsible. He owed way too much. And now he's got to pay his debt. So that's what was at stake. This debt was so enormous that there was no way to redeem it. And so it is, and this is the meaning of the text, uh, so it is with you and me. Our sin before God puts us in his debt, the Bible tells us, completely, completely beyond our ability to repay it. Let's say, for instance, that you, and maybe it's from 
15 to 10.15 on a Sunday morning. Those of you that come to first service. And I say 9.15 because the first 15 minutes you're trying to finish getting, being mad at your wife for what happened on the way over here. Or your kids annoyed you and you thank God they're with Pastor Barb. I don't have to mess with them for an hour. And so I'll give you that first 15 minutes to be carnal, you know, to kind of you know, work things out. But then maybe let's say from 9.15 to 10.15 on a Sunday morning, you are perfect for that hour. You are engaged in the Word of God. You're worshiping God with all your heart. You don't have any thoughts about lunch. Or you don't, you're not thinking, oh, now I just did it, didn't I? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you, you have no, you, I mean, everything is perfect. You're cute into God. You, you love the people around you, at least most of them. And it's just, everything is perfect. And for that one hour, let's say, in thought, word, and deed, you are perfect. And you say, awesome. That is so great. The only problem is, that was only one hour. <laughs> what about all the other hours? What about the other days, the months, the years? All the sins that you piled up, no matter how good you think you can be for any length of time, the debt that you owe God is staggering. The times that you have hurt God, the times you have disappointed God, the times that you have lied and deceived and cheated and everything else, all the times that even if you haven't done them, you've fought them and all of those things are stacked up and the Bible says they're like a brick wall. Brick upon brick, you've put all this up and you've built this terrible, incorrigible wall around you and it is awful. Now, debtor's prison. I mentioned that before. One of the options the king had, he didn't choose this option, but... One of the options was to put a person in debtor's prison. And the idea is you post a parchment on the outside of the prison. You've heard this before. And, and on the parchment, you write all the debts. In this case, it would be three and a half billion dollars. Usually it would be something like 50 goats or 25 sheep or something like that. But the idea was that you couldn't get out of your debtor's prison until that debt was paid. And of course, the natural question is, well, how does a guy pay the debt when he's in debt? Well, that's his problem. He got in the debt. Maybe you've got a kinsman redeemer, right? Maybe you've got someone, a, a, a rich uncle who will come along and pay it. Most likely not. But the fact is you've got problems. You can't get out of that prison because you've built that yourself. And that's where we find this man. He begs the king one more time. Just, Lord, just give me some time. Just give me a chance. Now, now when the credit card companies call your house, and if they do, I, I, I feel badly for you. There's been a time when I've experienced that. And when are you going to make payment? And you know, the credit card companies, at least up to a point, they're really good about, well, we'll just increase your limit. And you say, well, how gracious they are. They, love, they must love me. They, they must really know that my heart is good and they love me. So they're going to increase my limit to $10,000 or $15,000. They, they really, no, they don't love you. In fact, they hate you. They, they, they love what you do. The fact that you're building up this debt and paying all this interest. But, but, so they're happy to do that. And, and the king, might have, this might have been a good option for the king. He said, okay, well, keep spending and that $3.5 billion in six months will be $4 billion and yeah, And it's just all good for the king. But instead he finds the king is more than patient. He is merciful. The debt is canceled. The man is set free. He's not only not in debtor's prison, he and his wife and his children and his manservants and maidservants and goats and sheep and everything else, they are not sent into slavery. Well, what does this canceled debt show? Well, one thing it indicates is that the king loves the servant doesn't want to carry out the just punishment. 
sometimes we we believe that God, when he looks at us and sees how often we've disappointed him, how often we've sinned against God and other people. Sometimes we think that God is like this angry father in heaven waiting for us to mess up and just wanting to, you know, stomp us out like a ant. But that's not a, this, this parable indicates something much deeper and more, much more powerful that this king loves us, is waiting, looking, hoping for an opportunity to redeem you, to pay your debt. It, it shows the heart of a God who, I mean, imagine what God feels like when you or someone you know says, says a thousand times no to God. No, I will not receive your mercy. No, I will not give my life to you. No, I'm going to do it my own way. No, I'm not going to do finances your way. No, I'm not going to do sex your way. No, I'm not going to do life your way. I'm just not. I'm not. I'm, imagine, you, you kind of think that God would be getting angry and angry. That's not what this text indicates at all. It indicates that this God is so filled with love that he is deeply broken hearted that someone would say no over and over and over and over again. And then finally God says, okay, I've done everything in my power to keep you from going to hell. I've done everything in my power to blockade your road, your path, with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Now do whatever you want. Have it your own way. That's what we see in this text. God is patient with sinners. Or who among us would stand today? Lamentations 3.22, some of you that have been around the Bible for a while know this verse. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Isn't that amazing? His compassions never fail. That guy in the prison, in the debtor's prison, that can't pay his debt, and no one else can pay his debt because it's so enormous. Uh, you've heard this, but the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross, you know, it is finished. Literally translated means paid in full. Scrawled across your parchment of your debt, Jesus Christ writes paid in full. What kind of love is that? Every time you bend a knee to God, he lifts you up. Yeah, but pastor, I've done that same sin so many times. I know that. I've been there. I know that. I know that. Every time you bend a knee to your father, he lifts you up. Every time your debt is unpayable, and that means every second of every day that you exist, every debt that is unpayable, he finds a way. Every time we cry out for forgiveness, he hears our plea. Every time we hide in shame and fear, he seeks us One of the things that happened when Jesus died on the cross, the temple, which was about about 400 yards from Golgotha, where Christ was was crucified in the temple, there was this beautiful, ornate building. And some of you know kind of what it might have looked like. And there was a place for the regular people, place for the Gentiles and a place for the regular Jews. Actually, outside of all that was the women. They were way out there. And then there was the Jews and then there was the priests and the religious people in the holy place. And then beyond that was the Holy of Holies. And there was a curtain, a heavy curtain that separated that those people from the Ark of the Covenant, which was the 
who, where God dwelt was their belief. And it was where the Shekinah glory was. And it's, it was contained. The idea was that God was there and you couldn't get to God because of this great curtain. And how do you get through there without sacrifice? And it was a problem. How do we get to God? How do we get to? And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says that the curtain was what? Torn in two. When Jesus paid your debts, that removed all barriers. In Ephesians 2, it says that that, that that wall that you built around yourself with your sins that's blocked you from God, that because of the death of Jesus Christ, that has been obliterated. It doesn't exist anymore. The wall that you have built, all of that is gone. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail us. But there's another thing that we see here. The king is not only willing, but able to absorb the great loss. Remember, this was real property of a real king. And he was somehow, and this was just one servant, he somehow was able to absorb that loss. And what it tells you is, and follow me for a moment, what it tells you is how rich the king is. How much he owns. How much belongs to him. His debt was so unimaginably large, yet God said, I forgive you. His mercy was even greater. How many servants experience that kind of grace? Maybe all of them. So, so you come to this point in the parable and you say to yourself, I don't know about you, but even now at this point, I could I could close the sermon and. You'd go home feeling, you know, yippy skippy. You know, this is awesome. You know, I'm a I'm an idiot. I'm a, I'm a sinner. And God has forgiven me all of my sins. And, and he'll do it again tomorrow. And 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 you're just feeling this is awesome. And I love God so much because of his enormous forgiveness and mercy. He's embraced me. And he said, oh, you are loved so much. And we go, oh, thank you, Lord. And it's all good. And don't you wish the parable stopped right here? But it didn't. Now, only if the story had ended, only if Jesus had have said, and now let's talk about something else. But Jesus is about to make his point, And it's a sobering one. The forgiven servant leaves the presence of the king free, absolutely free from his debt. And finds another of the king's servants who owes him money. Not a lot of money in the same way, three and a half billion dollars, a hundred denarii. Now, in the video, they made fun of it. it was chump change. It was not chump change. A hundred denarii was equivalent to three or four months salary. So that's a lot. For I mean, any of us, could you go three or four months without any income? That would be a hardship for all of us. So, so it was not pocket change. It would have amounted to quite a bit. Now, here, this guy has been forgiven of three and a half billion dollars. Now he finds someone that owes him several thousand dollars and... And he grabs him and he says, I, I want you to pay me back. Now, let me stop right there and say a couple of things. The debt that was owed to this other servant was real. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes, because you know, when we start talking about this stuff, I know some of you and I know some of your stories. And you're thinking about a father or an uncle that sexually abused you when you were a little girl. Are you thinking about somebody that cheated you out of thousands and thousands of dollars? 
Are you thinking of some of these enormous sins and debts? So what I'm trying to say in this in the text, it does not say that what is owed to you is insignificant. It is not. For some of you, it came at great pain and cost. It's not trivial. It's substantial. It's the kind of thing in a person's life that can crush our spirits and injure us down to the very core. Some of you have felt the pain of adultery, of abuse, neglect or rejection, slander or insult, degradation or humiliation, or a host of other hurtful words and actions, some of them for you habitual. Jesus is not calling us to minimize the hurt or the damage that has been inflicted on us by others. If anything, he's affirming the significance and the power of the debt that is owed to you. That's what he's saying here. This is not a flippant or easy thing about, well, I'll just go and forgive everybody. That's, don't, please don't read that into this text. But the real problem in our story doesn't materialize until verse 30. And this is what it says. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, this man exercised full legal rights against him. He had every right to call the coppers, right? He had every right to say, no, you owe me. Your debt is due now. Have you ever had the experience where uh, some a mortgage company or a car company or a loan company or somebody said, OK, you've got to pay your debt up uh, by Tuesday. And you're going, well, that's impossible. What do I do? Do I go to foreclosure? Do I, well, I, don't, I don't know what to do. And the debt is so great. And, and, and you could say, well, that's not fair, but of course it's fair. <laughs> you have a contract. And if you haven't paid back the debt of that contract for whatever reason, doesn't really matter. You're going, it's, it's legal. It's right. It's not their fault. It's your fault. And sometimes we forget that. So he exercises full legal rights against this other servant. It's fair. But there's no trace of compassion that flowed from the king's heart. I, again, I was hearing this uh, testimony of this young man from the Aurora shootings. And he said that, and I forget the exact words. If you heard it this morning, it was probably about 6.30 on the radio. Um, if you heard it, he said something like, well, when I realize how much God has forgiven me, I, I feel like I'm obligated to forgive this guy. Now, again, does that remove him from justice? Of course not. Does that take away any of the pain? Of course not. But for this one young man, his course of action is to go through this process that we're talking about today. If God has forgiven me of, of things bigger than you can even imagine, greater sin, and it may maybe not be shooting a whole movie room full of people, but your sins piled up end up a lot higher than that, right? And if, and if God can do that, then why can't I at least do the emotional work of saying, I forgive you? And that's what his point was. Edgar Allan Poe, I don't know if you read him, but he's very dark, and that's why I like it. I like sinister, dark things, right? And so one of his books was The, uh, the Cask of Amontillado. Okay, I'm trying to say it Spanish here. I should have asked Sherry. Amontillado. And, uh, in the, and that's a cask of a certain special kind of wine. And in the story, Montresor, who is the uh, protagonist, uh, um, hates... Fortunato, because Fortunato hurt him at some time in the past. And Montresor is going to take care of him. So he kind of lures 
um, a, a Fortunato down to the wine cellar, deep, 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 deep. There's this special cask of Amontillado, and it's going to be awesome, and it's the greatest wine in the world. He, he lures them down there, and down there is this kind of a stone prison, and he puts them in there, lures them in there, and then puts in the final stone and, uh, and walks away. And for the next 50 years, uh, Montressor is saying, I-, I wonder how that worked out for Fortunato. You know, I wonder when he died. I wonder if he regretted while he was dying in agony and pain from thirst and hunger. I wonder what that death... And for 50 years, Montressor kind of was consumed with this idea. Who won that battle? Probably Fortunato. I mean, who won that battle? For 50 years, he's consumed with this vengeance that he took. How many people go through life just like that? Look at verses 32 to 35. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. This is scary And this is harsh. Don't try to make it something it's not. It is scary and it is harsh. And you know what? It's not about money. It's not about debts owed. It's about whether or not you are willing to forgive someone else. It's about whether or not you are willing to say, God has forgiven me of my enormous debt. Am I willing to forgive someone else? Our Heavenly Father loves mercy. I, um, most of you know my story and I won't go into the details, but I remember when I was going through this therapy and counseling and Gamblers Anonymous and all of that stuff, there was a transformation that was going on inside of me and I wasn't quite sure what it all meant. But when I came out of this process and I was allowed to be a pastor again and I was called by Hope Covenant Church 12 years ago to be your pastor, I was so fundamentally transformed by God's mercy that it transformed my life. I was so blessed by God's forgiveness that it changed everything about me. It changed my preaching, my living. It changed every, every default position in my life had been altered. When you recognize, and your stories are all similar. You may not be a gambler, but you're a something. And everybody's story, and when you recognize the enormous debt that God has paid for you, the enormous forgiveness that he has given to you, how can you do anything else but live a life of forgiveness and grace? Our Father loves mercy. He loves to free repentant people from the burden of their sins. And we love him because of it. That's why John writes in 1 John 2, 9, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in it to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. The most explicit teaching that Jesus gives in regard to this is found in Matthew 6. Verses 9 to 15. Most of you, this is the first passage in the Bible, besides Jesus wept probably, that you memorized. And it's called the um, uh, 
I mean, it's the Lord's Prayer that you've all grown up with and you've known. And it's found in Matthew 6, 9. I'm going to start reading this. But as I do, I want you to pray this with me. And I want you to uh, you keep your eyes open because some of you might want to read, uh, read the text because you might have learned it in a different version. But I want us to pray this prayer together. Matthew 6, 9 to 15. Um, let us pray. This then is how you should pray, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Those last two verses are the two verses that are omitted from the Lord's Prayer in most of our prayers because we just don't like them. Jesus connects our forgiveness with how we forgive others. The commandment to love God and to love each other, the second part of that, is just as important as the first. You love God, you will love others. You forgive, uh, God forgives you, you will forgive others. If you are an unliving, unloving or unforgiving servant of God, there's a disconnect in your relationship or your understanding of who God is. I want to close by just asking this question of you. Why does forgiveness matter so much? This comes out of the text. Well, we know because it reflects God's forgiveness for us and for others. People will see God through his love and forgiveness. You remember a few years ago, the shooting that took place in the Amish community. Remember that? I think it was in Iowa. The Amish community. Anybody remember that? The shooting that took place in the Amish community. And, and the world was kind of up outraged because the Amish community came out with this, this, this statement that said, we forgive him. And the world goes, no, 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 you can't forgive him. You, it's like somehow forgiving him justified him. No, it doesn't at all. But they were all outraged. The world's all. I remember when uh, we had a 9-11, uh, we were in the strip mall. And I remember we showed a video uh, and, and interviewed on the street and all the people. Well, what did you think about the attack on the World Trade Center? Like, well, I think those people should be burned, every one of them. All those should be killed. They should be you know, chopped up into pieces and thrown away, put in the coffee grinder. It was just terrible. All the, and all those things are just... And somehow, some way, Christians are supposed to walk into that and say, what does it mean to forgive? That's what we're talking about in this message today. Forgiveness reflects God's heart. And also forgiveness does not... I mean, a lack of forgiveness does not hurt others, but a lack of forgiveness hurts me. It hurts you. Ray Steadman tells of a powerful illustration, the effect of prison, being in a prison of bitterness. There's a woman uh, in her 80s that told Steadman that 50 years before, her aunt had said something insulting to her, and the woman had never, ever forgiven her. 50 years later, she could recount the event to the precise detail, and she felt the same bitterness, anger, and resentment welling up with her, even though her aunt had been dead for over 30 years. No wonder, Stedman says, that she became a bitter, crotchety, quarrelsome, unhappy woman who could never find happiness in any relationship in life 
whatsoever. She was still in the hands of the torturer, her aunt, 50 years later. Just like Montressor was still in the hands of a dead Fortunato. Forgiveness or a lack of forgiveness does not hurt others. It hurts me and it hurts you. And then finally, forgiveness, uh, forgiving uh, will set you free. The Greek word for forgive means literally let go. Let go. It doesn't mean that the, the person that hurt you is going to go unpunished. It doesn't mean that you're saying it's okay what you did to me. It just means you're going to let go. Corey Ten Boom likened forgiveness to letting go of a bell rope. Now, uh, we were at a wedding in, I forget where it was, Iowa or somewhere. Yeah, and there's a little country church, and it had this bell rope. And, and uh, Sherry, being the dignified woman she is, I told you about her earlier, she got on the bell rope, and she started kind of doing this. You know, it was fun, and it was during the wedding rehearsal, and, and the bell was clanging away and like that. And so every time uh, it would start losing momentum, uh, Sherry would come up, and she'd start ringing it again, you know. And so that was kind of annoying, because I was trying to lead the rehearsal. But, fi- but it was just kind of neat. And, and Corey Ten Boom says that this is kind of like forgiveness. It's letting go of the rope. Now, yes, once you let go of the rope, the momentum still keeps this thing going and clanging for a little while. But eventually, eventually it will come to a stop. It's like that with forgiveness. When you decide to forgive, the old feelings of unforgiveness may continue to assert themselves and and even come up in your mind often. After all, they have lots of momentum, right? But if you affirm your decision to forgive, that Unforgiving spirit will begin to slow and eventually be still. Forgiveness is not something you feel. It's something you do. It's an act of faith. God, I forgive that person who hurt me. I still feel strongly. There's still some momentum there. But one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to keep pulling on that rope. Let me ask you a question. Are you blessed to be forgiven? If you're anything like me, you know the enormous debt that you have owed God and you are blessed to be forgiven by him. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, this morning we talk about a very, some, for some people, very difficult subject. Lord, first of all, I would just like to acknowledge, and I believe that there are many here that would say the same thing, is that how thankful I am to you. Lord, how thankful I am for your mercy and grace. But Lord, also there may be someone in uh, someone's heart in their life that they have not forgiven. And Father, I just want to acknowledge the fact that that's a very real thing. Most of us have gone through that and that if you can even visualize that person that you have not forgiven and simply do the work by faith, acknowledging, God, I forgive that person. I'm going to let go of the bell rope. It'll still have some momentum, but I'm going to let go and let you be my vindicator. Let you deal with the justice of it. Lord, I am going to let go. And for some of you, you may have a need, maybe a strong need to forgive someone else, to let go. And others may have a strong need to ask forgiveness. You've hurt someone. And God wants you to release that debt that is owed. And So, Father, in all these things, we are humans that are flawed and fail often. And 
we don't always do things right, but here, here's one thing we want to do right, Lord Jesus. We, we want to forgive the way that you have forgiven us. We want to forgive with that same freedom, that same mercy, that same compassion that you've forgiven us. So, Father, I pray that that work would be done among your people and that it will be done in the power and the presence of Jesus. And, Lord, if there are those that need to do something, even this afternoon, some work on the phone, a letter, an email, something to either forgive or be forgiven, Father, I pray that you would give them the grace to do so. For we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.